0: Happy New Year. If you would take your Bible and open it to the book of Hosea. And if you didn't happen to bring a Bible, uh, there are some provided for you in the pews in front of you. You can find the passage we're going to be looking at this morning on page 757. We are getting to finish our four-part journey through the book of Hosea this morning. As we've gone through this and in large sweeps, we have gotten to see this unfolding drama of a relationship between God and his people. A marriage, as it's portrayed, in which God has done everything he can to love. And his people, the bride, the unfaithful bride, have repeatedly left him. Is there any hope for this marriage? Israel's unfaithfulness only mounts, and God's process of discipline and punishment, as we've seen, has nearly run its full course. We live in a time when your choice to do what you want to do has virtually no counter-argument. Our culture recognizes no accountability outside the individual person. No one is allowed to challenge you if you've decided that your choice is best for you. If you determine you need to go a different direction, no one is allowed to suggest you stop. And once you've left, who is there that has the authority to call you to return? These days, the one who leaves in pursuit of their own truth... Is considered a hero. That they realized and declared their previous commitments were really restrictions. That their institutions were prohibitive to their desires. That they took off from everything that held them back. All this is hailed as courageous. Now surely there will be times. When venturing out or moving, leaving is a wise choice, as some of you may have experienced in your own life. Maybe you're venturing out and leaving right now, and you're here because of that, and you're welcome here. But I'm just asking, granting that there are those situations, I'm asking, is it always heroic to leave? Is it always courage to cut out and chart your own course? I wonder, looking back on your life, has leaving always been the best decision you made? Do you look back and see that that choice or that move or that loss due to that decision, do you view all those things as wise in retrospect? Or can you, like me, See times when your own folly was what led you to leave. There were times you now see when you left a good situation for a bad one. You left with bad motives when good ones would have had you stay where you are. When you lost by leaving something, you would have certainly held on to by staying. The story of Hosea and Gomer... Of God and Israel is a story about the folly of leaving God and the wisdom in returning to him. This is not a modern day triumph of the spouse who shakes the shackles of her covenant commitment. This is an ancient parable that encourages us to consider that when you find love, you should never leave it. And if you've left the one who loves you perfectly... That is God. You should go back to Him as soon as you can. Is there anything you're thinking about leaving right now? Could it be a small thing as you consider the new year? Leaving an old habit or leaving your Twitter account? Maybe it's much bigger your job, the romantic relationship you're involved in, your marriage. Your beliefs, a long-held aspect of your faith, or maybe even God. Maybe that's not you, not yet, but you may consider leaving in the future. You know, we can always come up with a good reason to leave everything behind to pursue what we think is best for us. We have no challenge in that, and the world is going to cheer us in it. What is harder, but perhaps much wiser, is the choice to return. So thinking about your situation or where we may be in the year to come, no matter why we might leave, if returning brings us to God, that is the decision we ought to take. And we're going to trace the end of this curious romance in Hosea in chapters 11 through 14. And there are three aspects of the drama That we're going to discover. That come into full focus as the story concludes. The first aspect that we see as we open up chapter 11 is that God is the lover. God is the, and by the I mean ultimate, total, comprehensive, best, perfect, the lover. In Hosea, as we've gone through it, we've seen Israel never stops sinning, but God never stops loving. So God established this relationship way back when he pulled this nation out of nothingness, out of slavery, and took them as his own. And declared to them that he would be their God forever and they would be his people. And he will lead them and provide for them and love them. And listen in as God reminisces on those early days as chapter 11 opens. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. God is a loving father who takes great care for his children. Holding, healing, leading, easing, feeding. And notice, God's love is not hid behind a door that that somehow we have to find the hidden key in order to access. God's love comes to us first. And we receive in turn all the benefits of it. As we keep reading in verse 5. Notice too that God's love holds. Even when we don't hold true to him. They shall not return to the land of Egypt. But you see Assyria shall be their king. Because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man. The Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and they're like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to, you, to their homes, declares the Lord. Did you see that abrupt change between verse 7 and verse 8? Though God had loved Israel from the beginning, Israel has time and time again spurned him, as we see documented evidently throughout this book. God, at the end of verse 7, it seems has legitimately concluded that Israel will now be left for dead. They will be taken by the invading Assyrian army to the north and never be heard from again. But then something stops God from executing this just plan. Did you see what it was? His heart of compassion And his nature as the holy God. And we often get confused about God because we think of him in human terms. Verse 9 highlights an important distinction must hold in our minds when we think about God. That he is God and not a man. This means his love is by definition godlike, not Man-like. So with Israel, he, he doesn't do what everyone in his, would have expected he in his position would do. When people fail him, God instead has a God response. He shows compassion when men would just seek revenge. And when people break their promises to him, God has a holy God response. He keeps his promises that he made. And when people like you and me defy God in our lives, which is a very human man way of living, living, God gives a God response. He relents from wrath on you and me. And he chooses not to wipe us out in anger, but instead brings life giving salvation. So if your prevailing notion of God is not that he is love. So, in other words, when you think of God, if the first thing you think of is not, God is a God of love, or that doesn't somehow embody how you think of him, then somewhere your man based categories are preventing you from knowing God as he truly is. God is a God of love. Perhaps your childhood. Perhaps your hurts, perhaps your own ignorance, perhaps being influenced by popular versions of worldly love. Maybe those things are clouding your view of this God who is truly the lover. But regardless what it is, it's vital that you ask God to reveal to you who he truly is. He is the lover of our souls. He is the one who shows perfect love. Church, this is an excellent topic for our continued discipleship. The love of God. Go in deeper this year to the love of God. If you're beginning, as maybe some of us are, to to venture out to read through the Bible or read through big parts of it this year in 2022, let me just suggest that the love of God be the kind of constant topic you're looking for as you go through his word. How is God's love portrayed through its pages, through the story, from Genesis to the new creation? And if you're walking with someone in trouble or trial right now, think yourself about how to encourage them in God's love as you walk with them through what's hard. Why is it so important for us to grasp that God is the lover? Because we need to know the truth about God in order to know the way to life. And we need to see that we've all left the perfect love of God. Which is now, having seen the first big aspect of this drama, that God is a lover. Let's see the second one. That we are the levers. We are the levers. And I don't mean by lever the machine that you use to raise large objects. L-E-A-V-E-R-S. Levers. Levers. In chapter 11 verse 1 through 12 verse 6, God contends that all of Israel, the north and the south, though he loved them, they have left him and they desperately need to come back. Why would anybody turn their back on the love, the perfect lover God? Well, that's what we find out in chapter 12 verse 7 through 13 verse 13. We find Israel left. And why they left because they loved other things more. We're about to read some of the things that they left and why, but what's striking here is that God lists all the loves they pursued in contrast to what He was already giving them before they left. And in effect, God is going to say, I loved you perfectly this way, but it is clear that you wanted to leave for something else. So, in chapter 12, verse 7 through 14, we see that Israel left God's word for the promise of wealth. Look at verse 7. A merchant whose hands are false balances he loves to oppress. Ephraim has said, ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself in all my labors. They cannot find in me iniquity or sin. I am the Lord, your God from the land of Egypt. I will again make you dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feast. I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions and through the prophets gave parables. If there's iniquity in Gilead, they shall surely come to nothing. In Gilgal, they sacrifice bulls. Their altars also are like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. Jacob fled to the land of Aram. There Israel served for a wife and for a wife, he guarded sheep. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt and by a prophet, he was guarded. Ephraim has given bitter provocation so his lord will leave his blood guilt on him and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. See all the references to God's word through his prophets in contrast to the wealth they left his word for. We also see that Israel left God and his providence for the promise of self-made success. Look at verse 13, chapter 13 verse 1. When Ephraim spoke there was trembling He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. It's said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. Therefore, they shall be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor or like smoke from a window. But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt, You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. So I am to them like a lion, like a leopard. I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breasts, and there I will devour them like a lion, as a wild beast would rip them open. So they left God's word for the promise of wealth. They left God's care and providence in the wilderness for the promise of self-made success. Then finally, we see in chapter 13, verse 9 through 11, that they left God the king for the promise of being their own king. Verse 9, he destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are all your rulers? Those of whom you said, give me a king and princes. I gave you a king in my anger and I took him away in my wrath. And we're still leaving God for these same reasons today. God's word for wealth. God's providence for self-made success. God the king for the promise of being our own king. We resist his call to sacrifice money because we want wealth. We try to make things happen on our own in our own power, ceaseless in toil, restless in our anxiety and in our scheming. Instead of waiting on his will that all will be made clear. We claim the right to rule by not consulting God or others for counsel. How many churches are praying less but marketing their brand more? How many Christians are self promoting instead of God exalting? How many of us are wishing for more capital tomorrow instead of capitalizing today on the opportunity to know God, learn from His Word, and do it with other Christians? But in these ways, God is not just showing us how we leave. Or why we do. He is also showing us. And don't miss this. He's showing us how he loves. (laughs) All the ways he intended to, to provide for and lead and love Israel are here. And they're for us too. God intends to love you through his word. By his caring providence in your life. And under his loving kingship. And if wealth and success and influence come, they always come under those categories, not separate from them or above them. And if wealth and influence and success don't come, you still have all the things God intends to love you with his word, his providence and his kingship. God's word, God's providence, God's rule. This is how we will know that God is loving our church. When his word is preached, when his word is shared, when his word is believed, God loves us. When he takes us through hard times, peaceful times, changing times, and keeps us grounded in the faith, he loves us. When we live under the authority of Jesus Christ and submit ourselves to the authority of one another in this church, God loves us. Even in Israel's leaving, God was working. Maybe you know from experience that sometimes God will give you leave to realize other loves can't save you. He does this as a kindness to you. So that you will turn back to him. So like Israel. Chapter 12 verse 9. He may return you from wealth to poverty. So that you'll see again your full dependence is on God. Or like Israel in chapter 13 verse 3. He may for a time. Make you like what you loved. And you will find that in the way you pursued. What you pursued vanishes. And you see that everything but God is shifting sand. Or you may, like Israel, find in 14, verse 11, that whatever you are submitting your life to and serving is all of a sudden taken away. Your king is gone. And God will do that so that you return to his loving lordship. But when you love God, no one can take that away. And if you don't love God, whatever you do love will surely be taken away. God does at times give us leave to pursue other loves. But praise God, he never leaves us. How grateful we are for that. How grateful every child of God is for that. Who pursued an empty love at one point and yet God in his kindness sought you out and brought you back but why not why hasn't god turned his back on us well, that leads us to the final aspect of this drama really the point to which the whole book has been heading At the beginning of Hosea, Israel walked out of the relationship. In the middle, God went after and pursued her with appeals, with discipline, with punishment. And now God calls to the leavers, come back to him who truly loves them. This is part three of the drama and the grand conclusion, the way back home. For all the leavers, there is a way back home to God. And that's what we find at the end of Hosea. For all the levers, there is a way back home to God. What direction is your life headed? When you think about what you should do or where you should go or what should be, how do you make decisions? Do you have a God focus? And that God focus will form your plans for 2022. Or do our plans get formed first and then maybe the focus on God comes later. Here's a great direction for 2022. That our lives will be lived for God. That our direction in our lives will be focused on loving God. As I referenced near to the beginning of this sermon, maybe there's a time in your life you're in the middle of right now where leaving seems like a good choice. Maybe you're flirting with temptations, maybe giving into the deception that following God isn't good for you. Maybe you've given up on doing the right thing in God's eyes. Maybe you've made a habit, whether short or long, of doing what's right in yours. Maybe a trial is coming that will cause you to entertain the notion that leaving God would be a good idea. Even though today you'd never think that would be possible. Wherever you are, God will be there working in your leaving. But if you've already left, or thinking really about it, you need and will need to come to a place where you acknowledge that you have left God and you need to come back. And I want you to hear this morning from Hosea. God is inviting you to do that now. He's providing the way back home. This way is here charted for us in Hosea. It's a way that goes through death and resurrection. Israel's rebellion against God had an ending point. If they would not give up their cheating ways, God would give them over. So in chapter 11, verse 5, we hear again God's plan. He's going to bring Assyria, a military superpower, sweep into Israel and take Israel captive in exile. Of course, as we saw, God in a tremendous show of love and grace decides he's not going to fully carry out the plan. Although he'll lead them into exile. But in the end, God, chapter 11, verse 11, will return the exiles home. He'll bring them back. So the plan of God for Israel is to deal with their sin by allowing them to go down into exile. And then raise them up out of it at some future time. A picture of death and resurrection. But this is more than just a symbol or a figure. Look at the harrowing picture Of the actual death that's coming. Chapter 13, verse 15 and 16. Speaking of Israel, though he may flourish among his brothers, the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come. Rising from the wilderness and his fountain shall dry up. His his spring shall be parched. It shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. Samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. For those who would fall on that fateful day of the Assyrian invasion and didn't live to see Israel's return. What hope was there for them? And for those who did live, but lived under the burden of their guilt of regularly turning from God. How would they be free from the curse of their impending death because of their rebellion? And for us. Although none of us may ever be chained and led away into a foreign country, what promise is there that death will not consume and destroy us completely? Well, having seen God's love throughout Hosea... How he continues to come and offer grace to sinful people. We should, at this point, by the last chapter, not be surprised that God once again has a solution for us. Look at chapter 13, verse 14. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Now, Israel would not avoid physical death because they wouldn't turn from their sin. God is going to allow death to punish sin. But God will also rescue from death and sin's curse. Now, you may have recognized, as we read that verse 14, you may recognize, that sounds familiar. Doesn't Paul quote this verse in 1 Corinthians 15? He does. Between the time of Hosea's prophecy and Paul's writings, hundreds of years pass. Assyria does come. The prophecy is fulfilled. And they do ravage Israel. And God does eventually deliver them from exile. But even after Israel comes back, sin remains and death with it. Until one day, the pattern set up in Israel begins unfolding in one Man, a son born in Israel, whose early days were spent in Egypt, in exile, hiding from a murderous king Herod. Herod dies, the boy returns, fulfilling Hosea 11:1. Out of Egypt I called my son. Even at infancy, the announcements of his birth echo the long-awaited expectation of God's promise to deliver. God had said in Hosea chapter 1 verse 7 that he would have mercy and he would come and save his people by himself. Not by a bow, not by a sword, not by war. And Zechariah in Luke 1 verse 78 declares that God himself was coming and about to come to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. And so God sends a son, Jesus, to redo Israel's life and succeed in every way. And we have failed, but he has come to be righteous in our place. Jesus loved his father who loved him in return. Jesus followed his father who led him. Jesus obeyed the words of his father who instructed him. And Jesus, God's son, died as a sacrifice to pay the price of our sins. He paid the ransom He, his life, his death, his body on a tree was the redemption arrangement to release us from sins hold to remove the venom of death's fatal sting in our lives. And because Jesus came and lived and died in perfection, God vindicated him and raised him from the dead. God's beloved son led the way down into death so that we who are captive and exiled in sin slavery might be led out into life as sons and daughters of God. This is why Paul... On the other side of Jesus' atoning death and triumphant resurrection. Picks up Hosea chapter 13 verse 14. And rejoices in the life Jesus is going to provide, provide to every one of his ransom and redeemed people on the day he returns. So flip to 1 Corinthians 15 where we can enjoy this together. When the perishable chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 54 When the perishable, and this is your future Christian who have left your sin and gone to your king. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall finally come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The death and resurrection of God's son is the gospel according to Hosea. And it's the gospel of salvation for you and for me. The path back home to a life with our loving God, that path was made by God. And it's available through Jesus' death and resurrection for you. Do you want to go that way back home? The way is through death and resurrection. And you take the way by repenting. By repenting after all Israel's leaving over and over again, after they snubbed all the appeals and actions of God, this loving, wonderful God, this gracious God, all his attempts to woo them back, we would think that Israel would need to move heaven and earth in order to get back into God's good graces. But amazingly, Israel isn't even the one that makes the first move back. God moves to them. By sending his son. We don't pay back God what we owe. God pays our debts. And clears our records. Through the blood of his son. And then. And only because he has done it. Because he has cleared the way of any obstacle. That would prevent us from coming home. Then God turns and speaks this. Simple invitation. Found in Hosea chapter 14, verse 1. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Accept what's good and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. Have you sinned against God in any way, large or small, in your mind? And if it's especially big, are you wonder if you'll ever be able to come back after what you've done? And how many times you've done it. Are you discouraged because you think you've spurned God's love one too many times and you will be at best a second tier servant to God, but never again a son or a daughter beloved by your heavenly father? Are you currently stuck in patterns of sin? And every time you fall, you get further entrenched in Satan's enslaving lie that God would not take back such a weak and feeble sinner as you. Have you up until this very moment been proudly resistant to God's rule in your life? But in this moment, as God works through his word, you see that God sits on the throne. And you have been foolish and wicked to rebel against him. But you see no clear way to right your grievous wrongs. That are piled up like a crushing burden on your back. Here is all that you must do. Return to the Lord. What should you bring? Hosea chapter 14 verse 2 says. Take with you. Only words. Only what you speak out of your heart. Words of confession that we've sinned. Words of request that he would take away our sin. Words of service that we will give our lives to him. Words of surrender and allegiance that he will be our God and nothing else. And words of assurance that the fatherless find a home in the love and mercy of God. to anyone lost in sin, straying from God in a land of destructive idolatry and self-love, it's time to come home. The door to God's house is wide open. Jesus' blood on the cross serves to cover all your sin. Come home and come into God's love and his family. You know, Jesus told a parable once about a son who demanded an early inheritance from his father and only went and squandered it and ended up destitute. One day that son decided to return home, hoping that at at least or maybe at best, he could get a servant job in his father's house, but not at all expecting that he would ever return to his former status as son. Probably a fitting picture for what Israel might think after all the leaving they'd done. I think sometimes we as Christians can kind of have that approach to our father in heaven. That will take us back when we repent, but it will never be the same as it was when we first returned and knew salvation in Jesus for the first time. And our lives made that dramatic change. Now we're simply banking on him, giving us a place to serve somewhere, but not thinking that we're still his beloved children. But that's not God's story. That's not the story he wrote for you and for me. In the same way that the father, if you know the parable of the prodigal son, the father in Jesus' parable welcomed home the prodigal son and showered him with affection and gifts and reinstated him right back into the family and fully restored him, so too does Hosea's message end in total restoration. The way back home goes through death and resurrection. You take the way by repentance, and when you take this way, God will restore you. He'll restore you. Read with me, chapter 14, verse 4 through 7. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. A sweet and beautiful picture of what awaits the Christian in heaven with God living under his shadow in total beauty. The radiance of his beauty. But I think it's speaking to more than just that day. I think it's speaking to the restoration we can experience with God now. As we return to him. The picture here is total restoration. When God is done welcoming back the returning sinner. And enfolding them in his love. There will be no lingering sign that we ever left. No pain. No sorrow. No destruction that accompanied our wayward lives way back then. Unlike the restless and fruitless pursuits of self and money and power and autonomy, the home with God is one of stability, security, flourishing, beauty, and love with God. How rich a life is given to us with God. How good for us to get to be with him. Church, God is our home. And that's where we aim to make our home together as his people. Not leaving, not leaving the chase after dark and fleeting shadows of notoriety or popularity or size or platforms. We aren't making a ministry here in order to attract large numbers of people to this church. We instead want to exercise repentance, experience God's grace in our lives and invite others to do the same. We want to participate in the life of knowing God and him loving us and then extend that same knowledge and love to others. So if you're looking to make your home with God, let me invite you to pursue that with us here as part of this church. Well, we come to the end of Hosea and just two verses left. Verse 8 and verse 9. O Ephraim, what have I, do to, I to do with idols? It's I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. And the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. In verse 8, God simply says that what you and I need, he provides from himself. And he doesn't need idols to be his middlemen. So you and I don't need to go after idols. But simply go directly to him who is our savior, who is our shepherd, who is our provider. As 1 John ends his letter, beloved, keep yourself from idols. And then God invites us to decide what we're going to do with this book in verse 9. Will we get the point that God is a tremendously loving and gracious God to even the worst sinners? And will we apply it in our own lives? Will we acknowledge that we too are the leavers like Israel? Will we recognize the love of God for us in Christ? And will we make a turn back for home with him, repenting of our sins and being restored in Jesus? If you don't turn, you'll never live. But when you return, the Father's love will be your life. Let's pray. God, we praise you that you are the the wonderful and loving God. You are love, and all that we know of that great experience of love comes from you. What's good and pure about it is from you. God, as we replay in our minds how loving you've been to us, especially... In sending your son, Jesus Christ, we see you again and we thank you and in gratitude and praise. We praise you as the God of love and mercy and grace, who though we left, you came for us. We praise you for the cross of Christ where we get to leave our burdens of sin behind and Christ takes them for us. And we get to walk forward in restoration hope that all will be made new because of his resurrection life we now get to be a part of. We praise you for making all that possible. We praise you for so beautifully portraying it in this marriage in Hosea. And letting us walk in it in spirit. Helping us to see it and revel in it in a new way, hopefully. Lord, take it and plant it deep. Help us to marvel and revel in your love. Lord, and convict us in any place where we're still leaving. Let us, God, in your grace, hear your voice to return. And Lord, help us to return to you again today knowing that you are a God who delights in pardoning and will restore. Even now, as we come to this gift you've given us in the table, Lord, fulfill all our expectations in you. Set our hopes squarely in you, Lord Jesus, both on the basis of what you've done and on what you are going to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.